Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, fired up for Arkansas Pine Bluff this week. Uh, in a word, no. I actually think the second half could be more interesting than the first half, depending on who we get to see, a.k.a. Braylon Presley. Think that we're going to see a lot of him? Oh, boy, I hope so. I mean, FCS opponent, you get four free games. Uh, I know he saw one one touch in the first game of the season. I don't know how much they plan on using him throughout the year. But I would hope that in the second half of Arkansas Pine Bluff, you're up by about 40 or 50, uh, and you can see some of those guys. And he's certainly one that I think the fans would most want to see. I don't know about the coaches. Can't speak for them. But I think the fans uh, would want to see Braylon Presley this Saturday. Well, I know I do. We did have a Twitter question on that. We are going to answer as many Twitter questions as we can. Did ask for those since it is Arkansas Pine Bluff, and we want to hear from you guys. I can only rail on Iowa to Colby uh, so much. I need to get some um, get some other topics in here. I did have a funny question about the podcast name too, which I'll get to. Uh, but first, before we dive into all that, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, Colby, we didn't do um, uniform Heisman last week, and it was kind of a a dud from us on the uniform review. Uh, they went white, black, white. Uh, we both struck out. But um, what did you think of the, the look they had and who was your uni Heisman last week? I thought the look was beautiful. The Curse of Cowboys we all love. I did not expect the Curse of Cowboys to get broken out in the second game of the season against Arizona State. I figured we'd be in the conference play uh, before those lids were done, so they looked really good. My uniform Heisman, Carson, and this one's a little off the beaten path, but, I mean, I, I'm sitting in the stands, and I, was, I, I think about it. I tried to look in the first half, pick somebody out early who just – looks the part stepping off the bus they just looked the part in the uniform and it was lamont bishop i mean he looked good in that uh, white black white so a uh, little bit off the beaten path not going to one of the the bigger names that everybody's always talking about but i thought bishop uh filled out the white black white quite well that's an off the radar pick i'll have to make a note of that when i'm watching the game uh this week uh, for me it's kendall daniels i think he's kind of got the throne right now he's the um He's leading all the straw polls in, in my uni Heisman poll. I've gotten a lot of tweets about him looking good in the, in the single digit as well. I've, I know I've already nominated him in prior weeks, but uh, until somebody knocks him off, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Kendall Daniels. Um, before we get to our questions, let's just uh, let's talk about this game a little bit. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff is not good. And by not good, they might be the worst team to come to Stillwater since Savannah State. And they might be on the same level as Savannah State. Last year, they went, uh, they won two games. They were blown out by the likes of Florida A&M. They were blown out by Texas Southern. They got hammered by Arkansas. They lost to Alabama A&M, Alabama State. They even lost to Prairie View, Colby. Oh. So that, that's the level of opponent that's coming to Stillwater. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to get to 84 to nothing. But again, this is why I said, surely we see Braylon in the second half. This is just, 
Again, I, I kind of ream on these games all the time. I know why they exist. I get it. It's just for the fans, maybe some people do get excited for these games because it's just a stress-free week. You just get to go out, beat up on somebody, see everybody play. I, I don't know. I much prefer uh, last week's game where you go in feeling like you're going to win, but hey, field goal game at the start of the fourth quarter. And uh, all of a sudden, or early in the fourth quarter, I should say, all of a sudden you get a little game, you get the juices flowing. Uh, these FCS beatdowns don't really do a lot for me, but uh, a necessary evil in college football the way it currently exists, I guess. So uh, we'll just sit back and, and watch the drubbing. Well, how do you see this playing out? I mean, um, both games for me prior to this game didn't play out at all like I thought. I thought they were going to be – reversed. I thought the Arizona State game, we would see the offense flying around and scoring a ton of points. Uh, I thought they would kind of slow it down with the running game in week one against Central Michigan. I had that completely wrong. How do you kind of see, do you think Oklahoma State is going to line up and try to run the ball and be conservative? Or you think they're going to try to just, you know, go do, run their offense, run fast pace, no huddle, and, and try to put some points on early and, and get up early and and get Spencer out of there pretty quickly. How do you kind of see the, the game plan from Oklahoma State side of things? Yeah, call me crazy, but I think that the coaching staff recognizes that it's a good thing to have your quarterback win postseason awards. It looks good for future quarterbacks who wants to who want to come in. Uh, it's the most important position. It's the guy who gets talked about the most. That stat line at the end of the season, people look at that. I think that they are going to go out. I think they're going to let Spencer cook for a full half. I think they're going to tell him, Spencer, you've got the first half. And in that half, we want 450 yards. We want six touchdowns. And then we want you to take a seat. You can put your feet up. Hell, go back to the dorms. Go down to the strip if you want to. But we need 450 and six by halftime, uh, and then we'll get you out of there. So I see a stat-padding first half on the way for Spencer Sanders. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they don't want to do that. Uh, but, man, I tell you what, it, it matters to have first-team All-Big 12 quarterback. Uh, it matters for that guy's name to be on the radar of people nationally. Recruits notice that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I expect a big first half statistically from Spencer Sanders. I do, too. I think, I think this is a, a clear case where you just run your offense. You don't try to get cute. Um, I, I do think there's a tendency for Mike, though, to – I mean, they're going to be so much better than them. They, they really don't have to, to, to air it out. They probably can just line up and run Richardson and, and Ollie Gordon and those guys. So I, I kind of see them taking a more conservative approach. But I do think they are going to run their offense. I do think they're going to want to get more reps, you know, running the no huddle, running the, 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 the hyper-speed offense – but I just think as after they get like their first touchdown on the board, I think they're going to pretty much slow it down. And I kind of see this game Colby playing out like halftime, 35, nothing. And they maybe score like 10 points in the second half and it's 45, nothing. That's the score I'm going with. I'm going with 45, nothing Oklahoma state. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be quite that low scoring. I've got it more in the realm of, uh, I mean, I, I think Oklahoma state probably scores 45 in the first half. Uh, and then a few more in the second half. I'm going to go 66 to uh, let's call it let's call it 10. Maybe they just spring a big play or two once or twice throughout the game. Let's call it 66 to 10 in favor of Oklahoma State. 66 to 10. I like it. I've not much more really needs to be said about this game. We'll get to Twitter questions in a second. But first, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit. Your one-stop cowboy shop, Colby. We struck out last week. Um, is this game? Is this ESPN Plus game? Uh, great question. Uh, trying to look here. This is ESPN Plus. Yes, six yeah, o'clock ESPN Plus. That's what I thought. So I don't think they're gonna use one of their, 
you know, primary best of the best home setups, setup looks. Um, what, what are you going to pick this week? I'll go, I'll, I'll lead it off to you. Yeah, I'm kind of with you that I don't think we get a primary look. And I think I might have just jumped the gun. I might have been a week early on the Grays. Uh, they didn't want to break them out for Arizona State. They wanted to look a little sharp for that game against a Power 5 opponent. This game, and maybe this is just my own personal uh, dislike of the Grays. I, I, I don't hate them, but they're my least favorite of the ones that they wear. So I think I was just a week early. I, I jumped the gun, and I think that we get the uh, gray-black-gray this week. So uh, we'll see if I'm right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think they run out their best look against Pine Bluff on ESPN+. Plus. I do love that look, though. I mentioned that in prior episodes. Like, when they announced the new uniforms in 2011, like, I was most excited, one of the most excited to see – Black, gray, black. I just think that's a strong look. I mean, Oklahoma State does have gray technically in their school color, so I wasn't opposed to that. I think the gray works better as a pant than it does a jersey, but you only get to wear gray at home, so that's, that's not an option on the road. I, I think they're going to bust out something weird for Arkansas Pine Bluff, uh, something we haven't seen before. And since they've worn a white helmet two straight weeks, I think they're going with a black helmet. Uh, I was tempted by the, the orange chrome peat, but uh, I'm going to go with the black uh, just the brand and gray jersey and white pants. I wanted to go orange pants to get real weird, but I think that's I think the equipment staff would probably would probably nix that idea. But I'll go I'll go black, gray, white. Uh yeah, that's that's a good look. Black, gray, white. Yeah, I think we're both I think there's some sort of gray incorporated this weekend. I think the the prime orange and black looks are gonna be safe for conference play. Yeah, you don't want to bust out like black, black, orange or Black, orange, black with yeah. uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff in town. No doubt about it. Um, before we get to Twitter questions, one last item here tweeted by our friend Adam Lunt. Um, this is a very interesting thing to me with conference realignment going going on. And, and Colby, you and I have been, you know, trumpeting the Big 12 TV ratings. I think that's a huge feather in their cap when compared to the Pac-12 and even really the ACC, whose contracts are, are tied up for years. But Adam tweeted, Baylor BYU drew 2.37 million viewers in the late night TV slot on ESPN. Have to think Big 12 feels pretty good about those numbers given the time slot. And Adam adds that uh, would have been the highest rated game in 2021 in the fourth time slot, outpacing a few USC games. And he says, and I think this is a very important point. If Baylor gets past Iowa State, big if, Big 12 needs to be promoting the blank out of BYU, or uh, sorry, Baylor, Oklahoma State on October 1st. It needs a prime time slot on Fox. That game could be a tremendous negotiation data point. That's something I, I strongly, strongly agree with, Colby. And uh, I think it's further proof that Big 12 brings eyeballs because they have good football programs, unlike some other conferences around the league. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think that Oklahoma State and Baylor are going to kind of be uh, the teams carrying this conference once OU and Texas are out, at least initially, and then we'll see what the new schools look like. I think that game does take a little bit of a hit because Baylor wasn't able to get it done uh, last week in Utah against BYU, but still a very big game, a conference game, a rematch of last year's Big 12 championship game. And yeah, Adam makes a great point, uh, and he's been on with us before. He, he does some great threads on Twitter talking about uh, Oklahoma State football and the Big 12 and, and how everything 
everything kind of works, the landscape of college football. But, yeah, I mean, you need that prime slot for Oklahoma State Baylor and see what number that gets because, I mean, if both teams uh, don't lose between now and then, you assume, I mean, obviously Oklahoma State's not going to lose to Arkansas Pine Bluff, so they'll be going in undefeated. Hopefully Baylor gets past Iowa State, gets in as just a one-loss team. And then we've got uh, two of the primary contenders for the Big 12 championship going toe-to-toe on October 1st, early in the conference slate. Uh, National television, yeah, that needs to be a prime slot. I think the Big 12 would be pushing for that. And, again, the more eyeballs you can get on Oklahoma State, the more eyeballs you can get on Spencer Sanders. All that stuff works in your favor. Totally agree. I mean, this is um, they got to play the game. You got to you got to trumpet your TV numbers, and I expect the Big Twelve to really, really, really push for a primetime slot in that matchup. And and hopefully Baylor does their part. Like, it, come on, Baylor. Like, I, I understand losing to BYU is a close game. Could have gone either way, but don't lose to Iowa State and ruin this for us. Come on. All right. Uh, you ready for Twitter questions? Uh, yeah, let's do it. You take the first one, then we can uh, switch yep. out from there. I'm going to start uh, from the bottom, like the, the earliest ones I received. Um, <laughs> this is a great one from Tyler Wheat. He says, would you rather watch an entire Iowa football game or listen to Boomer Sooner on repeat for an hour? Uh, I don't know about you, Colby. Uh, I, I'm able to listen to Boomer Sooner for four hours when I, when I watch a Bedlam football game. But I think I love hate watching Iowa so much. I got to go with Iowa. It's just, it's too good. I, and for, I feel like I need to kind of refresh people. We get new listeners all the time. Like back when Kyle Porter and I were doing this podcast, I used to bring up Iowa as an example of why the big 10 stunk. I mean, like a, a little, a, as much as like four or five years ago, I was doing that. And it's just, it's come to a complete head. It's come to like the perfect storm of Iowa slash big 10 football has happened this year where I can't look away. Can they score a touchdown this week? I don't know. I I would rather watch that than listen to Boomer Sooner on repeat for an hour. I am 100% with you. I just, I I can't do it with that song. I hate that song so much. I hate everything about it. Um, Yeah, the the stadium operator last year, I remember that we gave him a bullet because he was drowning it out every time they tried to play it. He would just blare something from the loudspeakers, which is the way to do it because that song is the worst. Uh, Yeah, so I would rather sit through, I would rather watch every Iowa football game all season long than have to sit through a full hour of that song just on repeat. Uh, That would give me a a headache that wouldn't go away for weeks. Uh, Carson, we were talking about mobile quarterbacks in Oklahoma uh, State. Hold on, hold on, real quick. Did you know, like, you obviously know what a Sooner is, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. They cheated, right, during the land run? Big time. Uh, did you know they stole Boomer Sooner? They, they also cheated. They stole Boomer Sooner from Yale. Their song is Bula Bula. And they literally just ripped that, too. So is the exact same tune? Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Also... That tracks. That tracks. That's very Yale, Bula, Bula. (laughs) That is right up OU's alley. I know what's going to happen. You're going to find this video, and then it's going to make us sit through the 15-second ad. Am I right? Can you hear this? Nothing yet. I want to. I want to be able to make fun of OU for it. I can't hear anything. We got nothing. Okay, it's blaring in my headphones. Yeah, It sounds more like a nursery rhyme, but – yeah, technically, I think the as legend has it, they stole it from from Yale. But continue. Sorry. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Uh, all right, so we're talking about mobile quarterbacks, best mobile quarterbacks in Oklahoma State history. I made the comment earlier in the week. I think just off the top of my head, Spencer Sanders, best runner Oklahoma State has ever had at the quarterback position. Uh, and we got a few tweets about that. Dustin Rivas says, on the question of best mobile QBs in OSU history, Tony Lindsay also came to my mind first. But don't forget the wheels on Clint Chelf. That is a good shout about Clint Chelf. We had some Zach Robinson uh, tweets as well. I think Clint Chelf is probably the most underrated in that list. Uh, I did go back and watch a few of these different guys. It's it's hard to rank one through four. I, I do think I would have Spencer at one. I think he's more special making cuts and, and just instinctive to go along with the speed and the elusiveness. Uh, but Oklahoma State has had some good running quarterbacks that have probably gone a little bit under the radar, uh, specifically Zach Robinson and even more so Clint Shelf with some of the things he did on the ground. So, uh, yeah, some good some good callbacks from the Donovan, Wood. Don- Donovan Woods. Donovan Woods. Threatening yeah. to transfer. That ain't true. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really Donovan good Woods, one. Donovan Woods, like, he was like the running back against UCLA along with Vernon Morency. I think they threw like eight passes against UCLA in the Rose Bowl and, and blew him out. <laughs> yeah, Donovan and I worked for a couple of years. I, I think uh, he threw for like 56 yards maybe in that game yeah. in Oklahoma State won easily. Uh, so, yeah, he, he was moving it a little bit. I would definitely rank Spencer one, just the explosiveness, the just the pure running ability and seeing seeing where to cut like his vision, I think, is what really separates him along with just his pure explosiveness. I think Zach was very instinctive runner himself, not as explosive. Uh, Clint Shelf did have to get away from the cop speed, but uh, he was way less part of the offense running. Um, I mean, that was a called play the, the get away from the cop speed. He certainly is underrated. But I would probably rank it, and Tony Lindsay was a, was a very, very good runner. I'd probably go Spencer one. Zach and Tony's Two tough. Is Two is hard, man. I'd probably go – I'd probably go Tony because that, that was basically how he moved the offense, whereas Zach was a really good thrower too. So I'll go, I'll go Tony Lindsay two, Zach three. Yeah, I like that. The uh, I like the getaway from the cop speed for Clint Shelf too. Something an OSU quarterback has on an OU quarterback. And that, yeah, they couldn't take that. <laughs> they couldn't steal that tradition. Uh, let's see here. Would you rather, this is from uh, Tyler Scott Cobble. He says, would you rather see OSU be the big dog in the new Big 12 or get an invite to the Big 10 and wreck shop in that West division? Hashtag Big 10 stinks. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, good good hashtag. That's a really tough question. The money comes along with being in the Big Ten. If you get in that Western division, you, you're going to beat up on those teams. But, man, that would be – you're going to have to sit through some brutal football in that case. I'm trying to think about it as a fan and not about all the financial aspects of it. Just as a fan, I, I don't know. I think you'd almost rather be uh, at the top of the ladder in the new-look Big 12 from an entertainment standpoint just Saturday in and Saturday out. If you go to that Big Ten West, I mean, you're playing Iowa and Nebraska and Indiana all the time. And, boy, that just does not fire me up as a fan. I, I much prefer the idea of a trip to BYU and Cincinnati, even UCF, Houston, uh, Baylor, who's already in the conference. Th- those games do a lot for, more for me as a fan than, uh, at this point, what even a, a Nebraska and Iowa or an Indiana, th- these teams can bring to the table. So, uh, as, as much as I hate to say it, I think I would take the big fish, small pond option. Yeah, I need to see what the Big 12 is going to look like division-wise because on the surface, the Big 10, of course, you'll, you'll make more money. You'll, do, you'll, you'll get all the, the benefits that come along with being in that conference. It's also an easier path to the conference championship game if you are put into that West division 
then I would think the Big 12 would be. Although, again, that's pending what the Big 12 is going to do with divisions. Or is it going to be, you know, how they're going to set that league up, I think, is a big focal point. But I, I ultimately don't want to go watch Oklahoma State play Minnesota, Illinois. Like, that just – like, they'll win, yeah, and I, I like winning, but I also just – don't like those programs. I don't like watching their teams play football. And I, I do think it's important to stay in this, in the Southern part of the, the United States. It's where all the good players are specifically Texas. I don't want to stray away from, from Texas the way Nebraska has. So I, I think I, at this point, I'd much rather be the top dog in the new big 12, especially now that the playoff is, is going to be expanded. No, I'm I'm 100% in agreement with you. We got a good question here from Jacob Sturm. He says, hypothetical question, how many games can Jaden Bray miss before a redshirt season becomes the smart play? For instance, he comes back against Iowa State with Arlington and the college football playoff in play and could potentially lose 75% of a season. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly what the injury that he's dealing with is. I I don't think it's something that's going to cause him to be out for quite that long. But if it is and you get toward the end of the season, it's something you would have to think about. How do you feel about that, Carson, as far as Jaden Bray and a potential redshirt goes? Mm, I mean, I think he plays against Baylor. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be in a scenario where they have to hold him out or try to try to use a redshirt. I just – and plus, guys just don't redshirt anymore. That's kind of a – I mean, they didn't even utilize Spencer Sanders for three games when he sat out. He was one of the few redshirts, the quarterback positions – totally different animal than position players. And he's one of your best receivers. So there's no reason to try to massage the schedule to, to try to get him an extra year. And these guys half the time will transfer or go pro. So I think he's going to play against Baylor. He's going to play a lot. And I think he's ultimately going to have a good year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that this year you're, you're trying to accomplish something very high level that you're trying to win the conference championship and if everything breaks right make the college football playoff because you've got the veteran quarterback you've got a lot of things going in your favor you have this elite defensive line you you have to put everything into winning this season and if Jaden Bray is good enough to be on the field and he is then as soon as he's ready you get him out there I mean if he's not ready uh, until middle of November you run him out in the middle of November as soon as he's ready but I agree with you I don't think it's serious I think he's going to play against Baylor that gives him a full another two weeks after Saturday to get ready physically for that game uh now getting getting out there getting reps getting hit those kind of things uh yeah you still got to go through that to be ready but I, I think we're both in agreement you put your best players on the field because you're trying to accomplish something special this season totally agree uh you mentioned him earlier braylon presley from a question from maldenden maldenden uh two-part question will we see more braylon and if so how many missed tackles will he cause? Hashtag they can't tackle him. I'm dubious, Colby. I don't think, like, as much as I want to see him be more involved, I don't want to see him against Arkansas Pine Bluff, score a bunch of touchdowns, and then, then all of a sudden Baylor knows what's about to hit them. I think Mike is smartly kind of rain, – he's reined in Ollie Gordon and Braylon Presley as much as he possibly can. He's not even putting Braylon on the depth chart. I don't think that's a mistake. I think that was intentional. And I don't think it's because he's, you know, lagging behind. We all, we've all heard how good he's been in camp, Braylon. They, they literally can't tackle him. Um, so I think he's, he's saving Braylon and really more touches for Ollie too, uh, for Baylor. That's what I think. And I, I frankly don't want to see him yet. It's like, um, it's like the, the new car. You don't want to just 
take it on the, down a dirt road? You want to wait for that, you know, Autobahn highway? Like, I don't, I don't want to let the Ferrari loose just yet. That's interesting. That is a, a level of patience that I'm not sure that I possess at the moment because before you started talking, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I hope we see a bunch of Braylon in that second half. I want to see him out there running wild. Let's see what we've got. But you, you might have even talked me into it. I, I think that you might be on the right train here with uh, keep him a secret. Keep him a secret. until Remember, you know- remember that we kept hearing and that we thought the depth chart would list uh, Brennan and Braylon as dual kick returners together, like the, the brothers in the, on the kick return team. That mysteriously went away. We haven't seen it. Never heard from again. Why was that a thing? And then all of a sudden it's not. I think he probably took a few to the house and practice and was like, Mike's like, we, we can't. We can't let everyone know what we got here. Uh, kind of like the famous story of Barry Switzer. And again, th- I, I know I'm getting very hyperbolic here with Braylon Presley. The guy's caught one eight-yard touch, <laughs> one eight-yard pass. I, it was I understand that. eight-yard pass, Carson. It was special. But I've seen the kid play football. It's a little like Barry Switzer saying, "Don't hurt Thurman," because that that number twenty-one is his backup. It might be better. It's a situation where I don't want the other team to know quite yet what they're about to go up against in big 12 play. That's, that's yeah. kind of where I come from. No, that's an interesting take. And uh, I, I guess my, my main answer to your question, will we see a bunch of Braylon Saturday? I don't think we know. I, I, I think that we're kind of guessing on uh, what Mike Gundy's going to do there, but we'll, we'll see if they reserve him for Baylor. Uh, but hopefully we start to see Braylon Presley at some point. Carson, this is just mark, kind of mark, a- mark my words. It's September 15th. Uh, they don't play Baylor till October 1st. I'm predicting a full two weeks ahead of time against Baylor. Braylon Presley will take a reverse. It'll be either the jet sweep variety or just the double reverse. They're going to run something like that for him to get him in open space. And it's going to be electric and it's going to happen. That's, that's my prediction. I'll come, I'll come back and, and review that after the Baylor game. I hope you're right. I just, I want to watch him get out in the open field uh, and run fun question that we got from Dave Hudson. Uh, This is, this is fun. How many OSU all time stars would you need to add to Pine Bluffs roster before you started to worry, start with Barry and add one player at a time before you start to get anxious. So we start with Barry. Uh, Where do we go? Second Whedon. Are we going Whedon at two? I think you got to go quarterback, although I'm tempted to say Justin Blackman, who oh. could not be covered. I see. I think I would go Whedon two and then Blackman three, and, I, and I'm officially anxious now. If we've got Whedon, Barry, and Blackman out there, the other eight, they might not be able to block. They might not be able to run. They might, they might run five eight forties. But if we've got Whedon, Barry, and Blackman out there, yes, I'm seriously concerned about what would happen Saturday. A.B. I think you almost have to have Emmanuel Ogba back there too on defense to just get after Spencer and force some turnovers. Yeah, true. I guess if you don't add anyone to the defensive side of the ball, Oklahoma State could still score 80 at will. Um, Ogba was practically a first-round pick. He was very early in the second, and he he would wreak havoc on on Spencer, I would think. So I think that's that's my answer for. Yeah, I, I think that's good. You need to throw one guy in on defense who, who can make things a little bit miserable for Spencer. That's a, a fun little thought exercise, though. It uh, might just it might just be Barry, though. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, well, you got to kick to him, and then they're going to hand it off to him and talk about someone no one could tackle. I mean, yeah, greatest example point. in the history of the sport of that. 
I mean, at that point, you're, uh, you're Derek Mason. You just got, what, three, maybe four guys who are basically a, a spy on Barry the whole game? I mean, if another guy's running wide open, just let the quarterback try to hit him, and we'll see what Pine Bluff can do. But, I mean, you've probably got four out of your 11 just spying Barry at that point. Uh, yeah. I mean, just ignore everyone, which that's, that's what gets you into trouble. Um, from Oakley Burklow, what player currently on the team do you think ends up having the best pro career? That's a good question. Yeah, that is a good question. I, I thought about this one quite a bit yesterday because there are some young guys that I think have some serious potential, but you don't know who's going to reach it and who's not. So I, I would lean toward an older guy, uh, and I would probably default to Tyler Lacey. I just think that he's come a long way. Uh, I think that he's a, a physical beast. I, I don't know. Look, we had another guy ask uh, on Twitter if we thought Tyler Lacey was going to be a first-round pick. I, I don't. Part of that's the, the logo on the side of the helmet. Part of that's size. Is he an inside guy? Is he an outside guy? Uh, you know, he plays defense at Oklahoma State, which still doesn't get the respect it deserves. Malcolm Rodriguez is trying to change that. Uh, but if, if I had to pick one, I think I would go Tyler Lacey uh, because I don't have to project whether he's going to reach his potential. Uh, he's pretty much there. Yeah, I think Lacey's a good – and Jake Woods was the one that asked about Lacey being a first-round pick, and I, I I tend to agree with him. I think he's all, he's almost just too big to play on the outside in the NFL. Uh, maybe in now if he gets drafted by a team that runs a three-four, then I think that makes a lot more sense for him to stay at the DN spot. But it's to me it's hard on the defensive line to to be viewed as having the best career. You just don't, especially on the interior, you just don't stand out as much. So I'm tempted to – my answer is going to be Colin Oliver. I think he's obviously way ahead of schedule after his freshman year, uh, continues to pick up where he left off last year. And I think he's really going to just keep growing to where he can be one of those stand-up outside rushers that the NFL covets so much. And I think that'll – he may not be as high of a pick as a Tyler Lacey. That remains to be seen. But I think he'll end up ultimately having the best career if he stays healthy. I like that too. I thought about Oliver because you always need somebody who can get to – uh, the quarterback and pass rushers never go out of style. So, yeah, I think Colin Oliver uh, is a good one. Was that yours or mine? Is it my turn here? Because I've got a good one pulled up. Uh, your turn. All right, we've got a two-parter uh, two here from Brian B. Rain on Twitter. Uh, number one, let's change it up a little bit, Carson. What's your favorite OSU basketball game besides St. Joe's? Pick a different one. Can't be St. Joe's. Pick an Oklahoma State basketball game. Oh, that's easy. Um well, it's, I guess it's not easy. I almost just changed my answer mid-sentence. I was going to say, you said that's easy, and then you I'll, froze. I'll lay out the candidates, and then I'll pick. For me, like, I lived and died with that 2004 Final Four team. I was a student. I was on the floor for most of those games. When they beat Texas to win the Big 12 regular season, I was on the court, um, got to watch the trophy presentation. I actually followed Eddie off the court. I was standing right behind him, and he's waving to all the people. So I was just walking off the court with them, waving. Uh, that, that was an all-time memory. Uh, Desmond Mason dropped like 35 on Kansas on Big Monday uh, on ESPN, and that's back when they let kids down on the floor. I was pretty young at that point. Uh, stood behind him as he did an interview on SportsCenter. Uh, that, that comes to mind. But perhaps just my favorite viewing experience I'll never forget this game. It was old Gallagher, Iba, Bedlam, Ryan Miner, the great Oklahoma player from Oklahoma. Uh, he got hurt in the prior game and they showed him on television, literally crying with an injury. And 
the student section rolls out this giant sign right behind the visitor's bench, just like they are now, that said, Crying Ryan. And OSU, at one point in that game, goes on literally like a 30 to nothing run. It's still to this day the loudest I've ever heard that building, big or small, even when they, uh, you know, did the upgrades and, and raised the roof. Old Gallagher was just different. I mean, I, I still think new Gallagher gets just as loud in certain spots. Like when they were going to the Final Four, that place was insane. But I'm never going to forget that. Like, we were just high-fiving strangers. We knew most of the people we sat with, but I was, I was high-fiving everybody around me. And that place, like, there was no way that crowd was letting them lose that game. And when they went on a 30 to nothing run, it was one of the all-time just Gallagher-Iba breathing fire. Oklahoma had no idea what hit them. That's, that's definitely my favorite just because, you know, Colby, when you're, when you're that age, you know, I was in like middle school, maybe even a little earlier, maybe grade school. Like, the, like sports are just larger than life at that point in your life. So I'm going with that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, mine is not Bedlam. Oklahoma State – Texas, 105 to 103, triple overtime. Byron Eaton, one-handed from half court as the clock expires, jumping out of bounds. Kevin Durant drops 37 and 12 in that game. Mario Bogan goes 37 and 20 in that game. Uh, it was tied at, what is it, 71 at the end of regulation. Ended up being 105 to 103 in three overtimes. That game, Carson, uh, and, and what Kevin Durant turned into as a superstar who spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City, I think makes it just as special. Looking back, DJ Augustine was on that team uh, for Texas, and that Oklahoma State team was so much fun. Uh, Bogan, uh, Marcus Dove, Byron Eton, James on Curry had 28 in that game. That game was uh, that game was pretty unbelievable. I was there for that. I was covering that for the Ocali, and I was just like, "What do I? What do I even write about this game? Where do I start?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah you got Kevin start? Durant, like. The best player probably that's ever played in that building uh, alongside uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Um, that's those 3.2 seconds. That's how long was left in the third overtime whenever Mario Bogan banked that three in. 3.2 seconds. Did you neglect to mention the great Tyler Hatch? Uh, I did. I did neglect that. I mean, looking like he's straight out of Jersey Shore. Just dro- He scored like 20-something points in that game. Uh, like, nope. Unsung hero. Nope. Nope. That's that. That's revisionist history. He played 33 minutes, uh, which I'm sure those minutes were very, very influential, but not on the box score. Two points on one of three from the floor. That can't be right. Uh, I'm looking at it. I'm staring at it right here. What, what are you looking at? Uh, I am on ESPN looking at the box score for this game. The ESPN box score has him for 33 minutes, two points. That, that, that's inaccurate. That's fiction. Of course, that's inaccurate. That many to go around. Bogan had 37. Curry had 28. Harris had 16. Eton had 11. There weren't that many more to go around. Maybe he just hit a big shot. Maybe I'm just. Maybe he had a bigger game in a different game. But I I swear. David Mons had seven. David Mons had seven off the bench. I'm trying to go game log on Tyler Hatch and see whenever his uh, his big game was that he broke out. I'm seeing his high scoring output in any game during his career at Oklahoma State was six points against Baylor. No, that can't be right. Maybe he just had a big bucket. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm just, just completely – maybe, maybe I was so shocked he made that big bucket that I, it turned into 25 points in my mind. 
You know what happened, Carson? We're, we're just ever so gradually getting old, and this was 15 years ago, uh, and sometimes our brain wants to remember things that weren't actually there. Someone tweet me and tell me what I'm thinking of or if I'm just getting senile. <laughs> I, I swear he, sco- he scored, like, a lot of points in that game. Maybe, just, uh, I think maybe, maybe he just hit one of those big shots in overtime. Maybe that was yeah. it. Yeah, maybe it was just a big shot. He did play 33 minutes. I said Brian had two for us, by the way. His second one says, in a hypothetical situation, Charles Woodson is the opposing team's corner. Out of all the history of Oklahoma State receivers, which one has the best chance of getting the better of him throughout a game? So not one individual play burning him. Four quarters on Charles Woodson. Uh, who's got the best chance to come out victorious in that battle? The greatest receiver in college football history, Justin Blackman. I mean, I've, I've tweeted about this a number of times. Uh, one of two, two-time Blitnikoff award winners. His numbers dwarf everyone else. Uh, you, can, you can try and throw Larry Fitzgerald at me. That's fine. Uh, but in college football, there was no better wide receiver than Justin Blackman. I mean, he was a force of nature. He was, he was like Barry Sanders playing wide receiver is what he was. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I, I knew you were going to go Blackman. I thought, you know, should I throw Dez out there? Should I throw Hartley out there? But, I mean, it's Justin Blackman. What he did at Oklahoma State, what he did as a college football receiver, um, I mean, I just – I can't imagine that we're going to see another one like that at Oklahoma State. He was so, so, so special. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't get mentioned more nationally. I do know why. It's because he played for Oklahoma State, and for whatever reason, uh, I said it a couple weeks ago, people a 1,000 miles to the left of us and a 1,000 miles to the right of us have no idea what's going on down here. But – but Justin Blackman was unbelievable. So I will default to Blackman as well. That was a good question. Um, what, what is your favorite? This is from uh, Ryan Flosspuller. Uh, what is your favorite memory of OSU playing against an FCS team? Uh, favorite memory of playing against an FCS team? Well, uh, FCS games, I mean, FCS games typically don't leave any memories. Uh, so I would say my, my favorite memory of playing an FCS team was Wes Lunt, Savannah State, 11 for 11. After that game, we gave him the Heisman. Uh, we inducted him into the Oklahoma State Ring of Honor. We submitted his application for the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and then he was gone, never to be heard from again. So I guess 84 to nothing, Wes Lunt, 11 for 11, is off the top of my head about the only FCS memory I can even think of. Wes Lunt. That is a name that I have not thought of in a very long time. Do you remember the reaction to that start against Savannah State? We lost our minds. I think we lost our minds more about the follow-up game at Arizona. They lost the game, but he yeah. threw for like 300-something yards, was a true freshman. He stayed uh, up statistically that year, too. I think he had a couple of picks, but I think he threw for like 430 or something against K-State. Yeah, and he ended up transferring to Illinois and wasn't very good. So he just he wasn't what we he wasn't what we thought he was going to be. Uh, mine is the first play of the 2006 season. Parrish Cox returned to kickoff for a touchdown against Missouri State. OSU won 52 to 10. Uh, anytime you start the season in the very first play scoring a touchdown, and it's against an FCS team, that's easily my my favorite FCS moment. Yeah, that's a good one. I uh, again, it's just it's hard to. That or maybe that or maybe beating up on Rhett Bomar in Stillwater as he quarterbacked Sam Houston State and him like talking trash about OSU after the game as if he still played at OU. He called that's OSU a, a little brother. Yep. That, that was a good one too. Rubbing yep. his dirt in the nose or his nose in the dirt. How about this from Jacob Sturm? We didn't talk about this earlier in the week. We should have. Rock chalk, baby. Could Kansas make a bowl game? Is his question. I mean, they already won at West Virginia, um, who's not very good. 
How embarrassing is that for West Virginia to lose to Kansas in overtime on your home field by two touchdowns? I Carson, I thought my phone was wrong. I, I went to the computer because I'm like, no, that didn't win by two touchdowns in overtime. But I didn't want to take the time to actually watch the highlights. I had to watch the highlights to figure out what was going on in Morgantown. Well, they could beat – they play Houston this week. Houston's like doing a tour of the new Big 12 or their new home. They played Tech, and now they're playing Kansas. Eight-and-a-half-point favorites Houston is against the Jayhawks on Saturday. They could win that game. I don't think Houston's all that great. They play Duke at home. They could beat Duke. Um, they could definitely beat Iowa State, TCU, um, not being OU or Baylor, us. Uh, Texas Tech on the road, they could possibly win. Uh, they, they already beat Kansas last year. Now t- Texas has to go to, to Lawrence. They could win that. <laughs> uh, I think they have a legitimate shot. I, I, I must say that I'm very impressed with Lance Leopold. This guy obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, he, he's won everywhere he's been. And we're seeing marked improvement out of Kansas for the first time since Mark Mangino was the coach. So it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's possible. Carson, I have to default to no, though. I just – until I see Kansas get to six, it's hard to even fathom Kansas getting to six. Uh, hopefully something weird and, and, and sneaky doesn't happen against Oklahoma State because they are at least to the point where maybe they won't be a laughing stock and could be somewhat respectable. Again, we're two games in. The West Virginia deal could have been fluky. They played the backyard brawl the week before, suffered a just absolutely heartbreaking loss with the way the game ended against Pittsburgh, came out totally flat against Kansas, uh, and I think got caught not respecting their opponent. So uh, I'm going to default to no on Kansas. Uh, I think that they probably end up with, uh, I'll say four. We'll, We'll get them to four, and they'll take baby steps on their way to a bowl game. I think I agree. Now, haven't teams with losing records made bowl games before? Yes, but we're we're going to pretend uh, that that's not going to happen for Kansas. All right. Kyle Stoltz tweets, how many yards and touchdowns do you think Gunnar Gundy will rack up? I'm thinking 250 passing, three touchdowns. Are you taking over or under on his passing totals? Uh, I will take under on those numbers. Uh, that's pretty aggressive, especially if you get way up and then they start running the ball a little bit more in the second half. But I do expect to see Gunner get to air it out a little bit. Maybe in the third quarter, uh, if you're up like 45 nothing at halftime, you can see Gunner uh, let it rip a little bit and kind of see what he's got. So I'll say Gunner throws for uh, 130 and a touchdown. Yeah, that's a good line. I might take the over on that, but I like that line better than, than 250. And three touchdowns, but yeah, I think he's gonna play just, a lot. Yeah, in the in the third and fourth quarter, I don't think again, I don't think they're gonna try to make it eighty-four to nothing. So, um, just the the numbers that, that the listener tweeted in, I think those are just a little bit on the steep side. Um, let's get another one in here from Dustin Reeves, Carson. He asked if an expanded playoff will put the brakes on conference realignment, particularly Big Twelve expansion, until the ACC grant of rights gets closer in twenty thirty six. Carson, I say no. I, I say that those contracts, especially that one, which is fourteen years into the future, we've seen more and more in college football that these contracts are kind of just guidelines, uh, and you can just you can you, there there are workarounds. If you want to work around, I don't think the ACC uh, under their current grant of rights gets anywhere close to 2036. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think that the expanded playoff will will pump the brakes too much on that. No, I don't either. Um, did you did you take anything away from Oklahoma dropping Georgia and Tennessee from their schedules? Like, do you think that means like 
they're going to the SEC sooner? Was that just a necessary requirement since they eventually will be in that league? Because, I mean, OU was supposed to play Georgia next year. What was your take on all that? Yeah, OU was supposed to play Georgia next year, but wasn't the uh, rematch for that in, like, 2029? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, by that point, you know Oklahoma's going to be in the league. So, if it's a home-and-home home and then one team gets the home in 2023 20, and then the other team doesn't get theirs until 29 and then the 29 game has to go away, so then the home-and-home home becomes just a home. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't read too much into that in terms of when OU's getting out the door. Uh, I still think that they have some things that they have to settle with the Big 12 Conference, them and Texas both, uh, either financially or time-wise, sticking around for another couple of seasons. So, I don't read into that too much because the return dates on those uh, just weren't going to work for the SEC. So I think it was inevitable. Also, the fact that both teams uh, had their schedules pretty much just filled immediately. I mean, why are we scheduling in 2031, 2035, some of these series that we're scheduling? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. You never get what you signed up for with the program that you signed up to play a decade earlier. Uh, college football scheduling, the, the, the time out that we do it a decade in advance, it just it has never made sense to me, Carson. No, it, it never has. And and I'm with you. I, I think that's just a necessary thing they were doing. I don't think that means they're imminently about to leave or in 2023 or 2024. They're still going to have to pay up. And I am curious, though, if the Big 12 does enter, you know, discussions with ESPN, how do they negotiate that? I'm sure ESPN wants them in the SEC sooner rather than later. Would they sweeten the, the TV deal for the Big 12? That's what it's going to take. It's going to take a sweetener for the Big 12's TV contract, for them to try to break the grant of rights for OU in Texas. There's just, they each owe $80 million. Like that, that ain't happening unless ESPN compensates them in other, in other ways. No, I think you're right. That's just, that's so, so, so much money. Um, yeah, so they're not getting out early without some sort of consequence. So, uh, yeah, I think OU and Texas are still here for another couple of years. Personally, I, I thought that they were either going to go after last year or stick around until the end of the contract because if you're not willing to pay it last year, why would you be willing to pay it this year? Just wait it out. Uh, I mean, the new playoffs, not until 26 anyway, at which point, what, are we going to have four or five conference champs and then the rest are just going to go to the SEC uh, by virtue of a committee? So, uh, yeah, I think that they'll just stick around until the end of the contract. Yeah, I agree. Do you know who Shane Gadsden is? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Well, friend of the pod, Brian Giddings, guy I worked with at Channel 4 uh, many moons ago, avid listener of the podcast, sent a really nice text saying he, he appreciates us doing this podcast because when, when he tunes into Oklahoma City Sports Talk Radio, it's, it's all Sooners all the time. So I appreciate Brian texting me that. He also tweeted a question, who would win in a race? Spencer Sanders or Shane Gadsden? Uh, Shane Gadsden is a very deep, deep dive. Uh, if you're over the age of 30, you probably, or if you're under the age of 30, you probably don't know, or maybe even under the age of 35, you probably don't know who Shane Gadsden is. I he was a, day, Carson. I've been 30 for two weeks now, so we're going to have to up the uh, benchmark here. Yeah, I think, yeah. So that, I think that's right. Uh, he was an electric point guard. He was from New York, and he, he played a very much a New York City-style point guard. He was a, one of the better passers you'll see. He was Gottlieb-esque in some ways, passing. Uh, and he was really fast, and Giddings just loves bringing up Shane Gadsden. And, and that was kind of a – that was like a, a big joke that Kyle Porter used to throw in there in some of his columns was he, he dropped the name Shane Gadsden – uh, Gabe Lindsay, which was Tony's uh, brother that played wide receiver. You, you're too young to remember that. No, I remember uh, Gabe Lindsay because he was here for nine years. Yeah, he's the original, like, Perry Ellis. He's the original yes. 
uh, Dylan Stoner for sure. I, I just remember I was a kid and throughout my entire childhood, every year we would go to Stillwater for home games and every year Gabe Lindsay was there. I think I just showed up one day when I was 14 and I was like, where's Gabe Lindsay? Yeah, that's a good one. I'll go Spencer. Uh, he, he's got the, he's got the better speed, but Shane was pretty quick too, but my, uh, no, knowing my nothing, 11 year old nothing. memory probably doesn't remember much of Shane speed. Right. Knowing nothing about Shane Gatson, uh, I'll go Spencer because he's clearly uh, quite a bit younger. Yeah, shout out to Giddings. Uh, any more? Are we ready to move on to some national games? Uh, let's move on to some national games. Great Twitter questions. We appreciate everyone uh, sending those in while we have some time. Arkansas Pine Bluff week. Next week will be a bye week, so maybe we'll do a few more, and then we'll get into conference play and be pretty busy. Uh, Carson, I think the game garnering the most interest around here, obviously, rightfully so, Oklahoma at Nebraska. Uh, no Scott Frost. He's fired, so got the other guy up there that took over. I'm looking at... Uh, I believe it was a 10-and-a-half-point line that I just saw, which has come down somewhat. It is uh, Oklahoma minus 10-and-a-half. Nebraska's side is, pardon me, slightly juiced. So Vegas is expecting this to be closer than I'm expecting it to be, Carson. Yeah, it, it started at 14 or 16, and it's down to 10-and-a-half. Yeah, it's it's definitely trending and this is one of those spots, right? I think I would feel more comfortable about OU just beating the brakes off Nebraska if Scott Frost was still the coach. You know, we see this so many times where they get rid of the coach, the interim guy is usually the guy that's one of their best recruiters, that this is the case with, with the new guy that's in there. Uh, he's going to rally the troops. And OU's had trouble running the ball against Kent State and, um, and UTEP. So Nebraska isn't good, but – you would think they had better athletes up front than Kent State and UTEP. So I I think this is a this is a trap trap spot for Oklahoma. I think they win, but I'm not all that confident that they cover. Uh see Carson, maybe I'm just maybe I'm blinded by the the awfulness that is Nebraska. I don't think that the coaching change is enough. I just Man, I think that they're bad, and I think that they're ill-equipped to compete with a team like Oklahoma, even this year's Oklahoma team, which I don't think is special. I mean, I think this Oklahoma team has the potential to win 11 games. I also think that they have the, the potential to win eight. I really don't know how to evaluate them right now. Um, and I still think that they're going to go in there and win this game 44-17. to 17. So I, I've got a big cover for OU. Well, Nebraska is averaging 37 points per game with Casey Thompson. Thompson okay uh, they can score now can they stop OU probably not but if this game gets into this kind of a shootout type scenario that's what I'm most curious about is look OU last week against Kent State if Lincoln Riley was a the coach they would win that game 35-31 but they won it 33-3 or they would have won 33-31 to if Lincoln was the coach so I do think they're better on defense but we're certainly going to find out if that's if that's the case, because I think Casey Thompson can move the football. He already did last year, uh, quarterbacking Texas against them, obviously had better teammates, but Nebraska's proven they can move the football. So I, I think it's a very way more intriguing of a game than I was expecting when we, when we started the year or certainly how the way Nebraska started. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, how about the fighting Aggies who not only lost to Appalachian State last week, they lost college game day, too. I, I didn't realize that Texas A&M and Appalachian State were playing for the right to host game day this week. Appalachian State beats them and gets game day, so they're not there for Miami at Texas A&M. Uh, I can't wait for this week's Midnight Yell video, Carson. I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. 
I've been to a midnight yell and that's what they do every single time. They get some, some dork gets up there on the microphone and, and just makes fun of wherever the opposing team's from. It's, it's a weird place, man. It's a very strange place. Um, as much as this is a classic recency bias bounce back spot for a and I just don't think their offense is very good. Jimbo Fisher runs, as I said last week, a 1994 pro style offense with a very average quarterback. He did the same thing at Florida state besides when he had Jameis Winston. So I, I think, I think Miami is a live dog here. I would probably uh, take the points. Uh, yeah, they're a six-point dog is what I'm showing here. Miami, I think, is a good, not great team. They struggled in the first half last week with Southern Miss, uh, and then they pulled away in the second half. Their game w- with Southern Miss was uh, almost scripted exactly like OU Kent State was, where it was like, what is going on throughout the first half? And then the second half, it was like, okay, here's the better team. Um, I think that might have been a look-ahead spot for Miami. I think Texas A&M is very much on upset alert. Um, yeah, I-, I don't know what insults they're going to come up with for the city of Miami. I think my two favorites, because I, I ended up watching that video another couple of times. It's like watching a train wreck. I think my two favorites from last week were uh, them making fun of Appalachian State being in the middle of nowhere, and that was being said from College Station, which is some good irony. And then I also enjoyed uh, making fun of them calling themselves the Mountaineers when you are called the Aggies. So, uh, yeah, the midnight yell stuff doesn't make any sense to me, but I enjoy making fun of them for it. Yeah, they're, they're an easy target, especially when they're losing football games. Uh, another team that's in a weird letdown spot, just like their their rivals, Oklahoma, is Texas. I've already bet this game. UTSA is getting the current line I'm seeing is 12 and a half. Yep. This would be so Texas to lose this game, especially they obviously won't have Quinn Ewers, Hudson Cards banged up if he plays at all. Uh, they've been walking around campus all week thinking they're thinking they're Alabama. Um, I think UTSA might win this game outright. And in fact, that's what I'm picking. Oh man, we both put them on upset alert whenever we came in on Monday. We didn't talk about it previously. We had no idea that we both liked UTSA this week. Uh, it, it would be very Texas. Again, I, I made the joke Monday. They're patting themselves on the back so hard. They're going to dislocate their shoulders because they lost by a point to Alabama and, you know, uh, people want to say they were the better team quarterback got hurt. I I don't know. I think that Alabama probably would have stuck with them. If Quinn Ewers would have been out there, I think Alabama played down to their opponent a little bit. I still think Texas is a seven and five football team. So I don't know that they lose on this game, but I very much have them on upset alert. Uh, Carson, this is kind of a game that I'm sneaky interested in Saturday night. It's a throwaway game that a lot of people will probably forget about uh, or just avoid watching around here in general. USC, host Fresno State on Saturday night. Fresno State's always okay, decent. USC's only a 12-point favorite in this game. They got a big on Stanford last week, limped into the locker room a little bit at the end of the game, won by two touchdowns. Uh, Look, it's two games in. They haven't really played anybody. USC's offense looks good. Defense looks just kind of so-so. But for a 930 game, whenever there's nothing else that I'm going to be watching, I I will probably tune in to Fresno State and USC a little bit and just – see what Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison look like, see if they've got uh, guys on both sides of the ball, because I think Fresno State is a team that is just sneaky good enough to push them if they don't play well. I agree. I mean, Fresno State's pretty good, and I think the sneaky thing about USC that if you're just looking at box scores, you're not watching, they had had three pick sixes – in week one, Stanford drove the ball on them all game and turned it over in the red zone. 
um, their turnover luck is going to flip at some point and they can't stop anybody. So I could see Fresno State winning this game outright in an absolute shootout. I could see USC winning, but not covering because they can't get stops. Now, I say this, they'll probably get four pick sixes. They've been, it's their turnover margin has really masked how poor their defense is. And at some point it's going to get them beat and it might, it just might be Fresno State. Yeah, Fresno State won 10 games last year. Went 10 and 3 a year ago. Uh, they're 1 and 1 to start the season this week. They're one really loss. good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, their one loss was to uh, Oregon State last week. Their quarterback, quarterback has thrown for 377 and 360 in the first two games of the season. Uh, I think USC is very much on upset alert. I would pick them to win the game. Uh, they are the better team. I do think Caleb Williams is special. I know Jordan Addison is special. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's something interesting to watch late if you want to get a peek at Lincoln Riley's squad and. Uh, don't want to have to miss any good football to do it. That is a 9.30 kick on Fox uh, Saturday night. So, yeah, I'll probably be tuned into that one. Yeah, decent slate of games. Um, any other games we're missing? Tech goes to NC State. Uh, I could see Tech okay. giving NC State problems. I think NC State's overrated. Yeah, uh, doesn't do a ton for me. Yeah. Um, BYU but, and Oregon. Oregon's a three-and-a-half-point favorite after BYU <laughs> just beat Baylor last week. Yeah, I like Oregon in that game coming off – BYU just – they can't score. I mean, I know yeah. Oregon had their troubles against Georgia, but well, it's BYU troubles. and Baylor are like mirror images of each other. Just slobber knocker defenses just trying to get by on offense. Yeah, I think so too. I I really don't know. I have no feel for that one. The fact that, that BYU was just favored uh, against a team ranked twice as high as they are and, and won, and now BYU is an underdog to a team that they're ranked twice as high as, leads me to believe that Oregon probably wins that game. But other than that, I mean, Carson, it's it's kind of a, a rum-dum slate this weekend. There's not a lot of good college football. Who's Iowa got this week? That is a great question. I haven't even looked. Let's see. Does oh, I got a tweet about this, didn't I? Does Iowa face a team that can get to eight? Iowa uh, hosts Nevada at 6.30 on the Big Ten Network. They are a 23-point favorite, which feels 16.5 too high. How can a team that has scored one touchdown be favored by 23 points? Is Nevada, Nevada must be just horrific. A 10 safety and a field goal tweet, Carson. That's so good. Which one? Uh, the tweet that said Iowa is a 23-point favorite against Nevada this week. 